be answered once the line is available. Welcome into the second to last episode. Wow, that's that's really sad to say. But the, Very the, weird. the second to last episode of Gotta Take This here on WLUR Lexington. Again, I'm Crawford Humphreys and he is Cole Heisner. A pretty uneventful week of sports, but we will begin with the headline that has dominated social media, sports networks, every sort of uh, sports media platform, and that is Tim Tebow getting back into the NFL, signing with the Jaguars, coached by his coach at Florida, Urban Meyer. A questionable move because he's moved to tight end now, but again, it's kind of one of those moves where what is he really going to contribute? Is Mm -hmm. he just going to end up taking a roster spot? Will he even make the roster to begin with? Is this going to shift the focus away from Trevor Lawrence? Raises plenty of questions, but Cole, what do you think about this? I think it's great to have him back in the league. I've always loved Tebow, but it does kind of, it just seems like you're pulling attention away from the right places like Trevor Lawrence. Absolutely. I also, I love Tim Tebow too at Florida, obviously. I think everyone did. Um, You know, I had the Tebow Florida jersey. I really thought he was going to be a better uh, pro quarterback than he ended up being. Um, but for me, honestly, you know, and I'm rooting for him. He seems like a good guy. I've been rooting for him playing baseball, you know, from afar. You see him on Twitter. This, for me, this raises some real red flags if I'm a Jaguars fan about Urban Meyer transitioning to pro football because there's really no reason Tim Tebow should be on an NFL roster right now. Um, you know, he, he really kind of was, was he flamed out of the league, what, you know, six, seven years ago? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. And, you know, that was playing his position that he's played his entire life. Now he's supposedly going to switch positions. Supposedly, I don't know if the signing is finalized yet, but I heard their process was they worked Tebow out at tight end, um, and they're waiting for rookie mini camps to start. I believe they started this week. They were going to check on. I think they had like a fifth or sixth round uh, tight end draft pick. They were going to see if that guy was legit. If he wasn't, they were going to bring Tebow in. So, um, I mean, I just I don't think Tebow really. This feels like like you said a wasted roster spot. And again, if Urban Meyer's bringing in like his buddy from 15 years ago at Florida. If I'm a Jaguars fan, this is a major red flag about team building for a guy who is coming in very highly paid, very highly regarded, and is really meant to turn the franchise around. And he's bringing in guys who are kind of, I mean, Tim Tebow would be the mascot of this team. He would not be a contributor. I hate to say it, but he would not be. Very strange and raises some real red flags about Urban Meyer. And you also look at the guys that he had on that Florida team. 41 players on that team have been arrested at some point, either in college or afterwards. Yeah. Because we were talking with our guest who we'll have later on the show, Ben Trent, currently plays football at the University of Delaware, also uh, formerly at the University of Virginia. But he's talking about, you know, class act guys and how <coughs> important that is to have on the team. And you're bringing in guys like that. It's not a great, you know, character thing. But I, the way I see Tim Tebow fitting in is almost like Jawan Howard, where he was in the league for so long that eventually it was, it was hard to draw the line between is he on the roster or is he a coach yeah you know is he getting paid to be a player but he's serving as a player coach i could totally see him getting into that role or or kind of transferring into that eventually i think that's where his next career is going to go is in is in coaching but at the same time i do agree with you i think it raises some red flags and urban meyer does have a little bit of a learning curve to reach in the nfl because it's not like the ncaa where you can basically act unchecked as a Coach, you know, Nick Saban, all these top guys, even Jim Harbaugh. Uh, is it Jim or John over at Michigan? Uh, Jim. 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 Michigan. Just wanted to make sure I get that right. I don't yeah. want to <laughs> drag John's name through the mud. But, <laughs> but um, like Jim Harbaugh, I mean, even him in Michigan has not been a, a solid program by any stretch of the imagination. But those guys basically act unchecked. And there's mm-hmm. not a lot of people that can question them or their authority. The athletic director even kind of cedes a lot of authority and power to football coaches at those, you know, 
big, notorious football schools. But he needs to learn that there are a lot of people that can get out. I mean, owners, GMs, there are a lot of people higher up than him. He's no longer the almighty guy like he was at OSU in Florida. He's a couple of steps down from being the almighty guy. Yeah. But he's below the GM, certainly below the owner. Right. And I think he's going to learn sooner rather than later that you can't make these crazy moves without some sort of repercussions or possibly losing your job. Right. And I think, you know, your point about Tebow being this kind of pseudo player coach is interesting because in the NFL, you just really don't see that. I mean, to make a 53-man roster in the NFL, you have to contribute, whether it's, you know, those last roster spots are going to, you know, maybe your fourth running back, your third quarterback, um, your, you know, seventh or eighth guy on the rotation on the O-line, or guys who can contribute just on special teams. Um, If Tebow can't do any of that, you know, there's already, like, what, 20, 30 coaches on an NFL team exactly. plus staff. I mean, if he, if if Urban Meyer wants to bring him in in a football capacity, he can bring him in in a football capacity that's not one of the 53 guys who are making the team and who really you need to contribute on Sundays if you're going to be in uniform in the NFL. Um, additionally, you know, it's a lot of money. Like, the minimum salary in the NFL is not small. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, Tim Tebow jerseys would sell a couple thousand more than whoever this fifth or sixth round uh, tight end draft pick that they had, but I really don't think there's any way that you know this this uh, draft pick tight end is going to contribute less than Tim Tebow would, whether it's on special teams or even just blocking on you know uh, field goal attempts, which we we talked about later. We'll talk about later with our our interview. Um, but you know it's it's just it's such a slim line um, to make an NFL roster. I don't think Tim Tebow can contribute. And if you want to bring him in, I think it would be awesome. If you want to bring him in as like an ambassador for the team. You want to bring him in the front office somewhere as a scout. You want to bring him in uh, as a you know a character coach. I mean, team chaplain. Whatever you want to do. There, <laughs> it's there, a perfect role for him. I know. There's a spot for Tim Tebow on the Jaguars if Urban Meyer wants to bring him in. I totally get it. You know, He was a big part of Urban Meyer's football success. That's totally fine. He doesn't belong in the roster. And no. if I'm a Jaguars fan, I mean, you got to be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. We just brought in a new coach. We just got our quarterback of the future that every team has wanted. The quarterback of the last decade, really. And... What are you doing, Urban Meyer? This is not good. This is like, you know, two steps forward, one half step back. Yes, it's... for sure. And, and it'll be, I mean, it, nothing is is really set in stone yet. Because like you said, there's still a lot You're of right. hoops to jump through before the, the pen meets paper. But I do think, like you said, it, it's going to raise a lot of red, red flags, raise some eyebrows. And aside from Tim Tebow, there are a lot of guys, you know, ex-guys from the NFL that would have been would have made much larger contributions than him. Absolutely. You think about Des, is Des Bryant even on the team right now? He he was on the Ravens for a few games Did last he, year, and then he kind of in and out. But even he would make a, a much larger contribution than Tebow. Right. I mean, you th- even like at at the tight end position, you could you know get maybe a uh, Martellus Bennett could come out of retirement. I mean, they're guys who are just retired who were played tight end in the NFL for ten seasons are probably still in shape. And then you've got a guy who's never played tight end. Great athlete, obviously, but, you know, he's been playing baseball. Um, or, you know, Urban Meyer could bring in <coughs> JT Barrett or Cardell Jones as a right. backup QB. Yeah, what, uh, yeah. Braxton Miller would probably Braxton be more, Miller, yeah. much more of a weapon than yeah. Tim Tebow. I mean, Tim Tebow is slow. First of all, he's slow. Yes. He's never looked fast. I was watching his college highlights the other day because I was like, oh, man, we're back on the Tebow train. Like, heck yeah. It just feels like a different era of football when he played college football. Yeah. Much more of a pocket, the pocket passer era and not the yeah. kind of Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, scramble. Yeah, dual threat was not 
a, a household thing like it is now, back when Tebow was, was playing in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating era, and we really, I mean, we really don't like to say anything negative about Tim Tebow, because I think for both of us, he was like one of the most fun parts of growing up watching college football. And he's just a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a good dude. Really nice guy. Yeah, he's good on TV. I mean, he could be on TV. I, the I other, would take the TV gig in a heart. I, I don't know why you would pass that up. That's Because he's getting paid millions. By, right. I mean, all those former players, you know, your run-of-the-mill TV anchor journalist at ESPN does not make as much as... Kendrick, I'm sure Kendrick Perkins, even Paul Pierce, was getting right. paid millions of dollars right. for his e- extremely hot takes that he was <laughs> spitting on, what was it, the jump and then the NBA pregame and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Booker McFarland, I mean, even he had a pretty rough stretch when he first got in the industry where he was right. chronically wrong about things or just didn't really provide much Yeah contribution to the broadcast. He Jason just, Witten even did a year. Money exactly. Tony, Tony Rome was great at it. I think great. he is yeah. like the peak. Yeah. And everyone else kind of fills in. Reggie Miller's also pretty solid on TNT. And all those guys on the uh, inside, inside the, the NBA, NBA, of course. Love them. Yeah. But ESPN's talent, I think it could be better. And Tim Tebow could definitely make a lot of money doing that. I know. That's another thing. you got to think about it from Tebow's perspective. Why are you still doing this? I don't understand why he played baseball. Like, go on TV. I mean, you know, you got... Kirk Herbstreet, uh, like Jesse Palmer, guys who were nowhere exactly. near the star that Tebow was. They don't know football at the level that he does. Why is Tim Tebow want to, like, I understand why he played baseball, but I really don't understand why he wants to go through the grind to try and be tight end in the modern NFL. And you can look at, you know, the guys that, that ESPN has hired recently, kind of the, the, the most recent athletes, because Herbstreet, you know, he was well before our childhood. Yeah. Tim Tebow would be a star because he's a part of all of, you know, our childhoods. He's a more recent player. Absolutely. The recent guys they've hired haven't been as great as the guys that other networks are hired. Yeah. You know, they're talented for sure, but they aren't as good as Romo or the inside the NBA guys. I guess those are a little older. But still, you know, Scalabrini over on NBC Boston. I mean, yeah. there are so many great uh, ex-pro guys in broadcasting. But ESPN has missed out on so many of those gems. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I actually, I remember this summer I was watching like a college football kind of round table and it was like, I won't remember exactly, but it was like Matt Leinard, Brady Quinn, Colt McCoy, and like Reggie Bush and an, and an anchor. Oh, boy. And I was like, these are all the guys I remember like growing up with uh, and now they're all on TV. I feel, old. I feel old, man. So it is, but I mean, Tim Tebow's the biggest star out of all those guys from oh, that. He, yeah, maybe Reggie Bush could hold a candle to him, but everyone maybe, else. Maybe, yeah. Maybe Reggie Bush. for our generation. Yeah, I but I just feel like Tebow, he's got so much more potential in other things, and I really respect the commitment to wanting to play pro sports because it's a it's a grind and getting out, you know, get leaving the NFL and then still playing baseball. Like I really respect his commitment to sport. He wants to play um, at, at you know the highest level that he can. So I understand it from that perspective, but at a certain point, I think he's married now. He's in his thirties. Um, you know, go on TV and do your next twenty years there. And really build a, a brand, you know, make a lot of money, have a good time. It's easier on your body, no less wow, wear and tear. Especially now that he's got a family, it makes exactly. it makes per, it makes almost too much sense. I just, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, but part of me hopes that you know uh, this whoever this tight end is that they drafted is going to tear it up in rookie minicamp, and we can just put this to bed, uh, and Tebow can you know go on TV and move on with his life. I would honestly, I you know, I, I with the ESPN I watch currently, like how much of it I watch. I would totally take 30 minutes of my day to watch, you know, it's, that's the length of an episode, pardon the interruption, mm-hmm. uh, around the horn, all the shows that I watch pretty frequently, just to watch him, like, give a pump-up speech. Yeah. Because he, he was so good at that. And of course, right. the one speech at the podium, you know, where he's like, no one will play harder than me yeah. the rest of this year, God bless, and then walked off. 
I just give him 30 minutes of airtime and let him, let him, I want to be running through a wall after that. 30 right. minutes for the rest of our lives. Exactly. <laughs> That's Ooh. the name of the show. There we go. Oh my God. <laughs> Boom. Tim, Tim, what are you doing, bro? We just sketched this out for you. Who's your agent? Because they're not doing their job. We just like killed you. Because <laughs> even, even during his appearances on college game day, he gave motivational speeches. Yeah. He looked like, look, look the camera. Dead, he'd look you dead in the eyes. He would stare into your soul while you're sitting on your couch being a lazy bum on a, a Saturday morning. Yeah. And would motivate you. Yeah. ESPN should pay him to do that. Absolutely. I would watch that for sure. And I guarantee a lot of people, even if they watched it as like a joke, people would still watch it. Yeah, on top of that, I mean, he's got insane, you know, football perspective, college football yes. perspective, what it yes. takes to build a team, what it takes to win. So, you know, he's got the kind of, not gimmick, but like the cool thing that only he can do. Exactly. speeches. Exactly. He's also got insane perspective. He's a huge star. Um, ah, man, Tim, what... What's going on? Who is your agent? 30 minutes for the rest of our lives. 30 minutes for the rest of our lives. That's so cool. Tebow or ESPN needs to hire us right now. That's, <laughs> that's a money show. That's a great show idea. We should we, Should we cut that and just oh, save that and copyright we, it? Should we, we cut that? Should we not let this get out? Yeah, let's, let's cut that. It might that. be too good of an idea to broadcast let's, publicly. Now that <laughs> I think about it. Let's cut that, or at the very least, let's timestamp this very hard so yes. that if anything happens we got this <laughs> I was about to say this is the equivalent of like Steve Jobs going on back when he was just starting up Apple and right. just listing everything he was doing this yeah. is that level of creativity we're channeling it no absolutely yeah this is um, one of the best this is probably the best idea we've ever had in the podcast yeah. honestly which is saying a lot as our listeners will know <laughs> yes so. well while we got some time before our interview with, with Ben Trent that we have coming up let's talk a little bit about horse racing I don't think we maybe talked about it once or twice. We maybe gave predictions for the Kentucky Derby. I think I zero. We I think we, we never talked about it. Okay, so yeah, this is the first time. I mean, this is the first time for everything. But we aren't going to talk about horse racing itself. We're going to talk about the dominating persona and figure in horse racing right now, which is Bob Baffert, basically the Tom Brady of horse racing. What is it? Seven Kentucky Derby wins. And you you wince at that because the first thing you think of is cheating yep. and the uh, the allegations on both ends. Yeah. I'm talking about just the seven titles. All right, all right. That's that's where I was coming from there. I didn't mean any – I wasn't trying to take a shot at, at, at your man. I believe you. But um, a, lot of, a lot of controversy right now because it was revealed that Medina Spirit, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, uh, tested positive for – what was it? Like an anti-inflammatory thing. It was a yeah. substance that is banned under horse racing rules. It starts with an O. What is it? The, the horse racing rules? Or like a horse racing federation or a league? How does this even? I, I, I'm not I gonna. Know. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a whole other show. But um, yeah, well, this is coming out. Of course, he is trying to deny it because he's had allegations like this before with yeah. his horses, especially recently, doping. like in the last six months. I think like five of his yes. horses have tested positive for something. So it's obvious that there's something going on behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, the, the, the the water's a little muddy right now. But he's denying it, and then it came out that it was like a fungal cream. There, there's so many different well, stories. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. It, it's it's all yeah. over the place. He's hiring independent veterinarians to look at it. But yeah. I don't. The horse is racing in the Preakness, so I guess that right. the matter has been put to bed effectively. Yeah. Although if he does end up winning the Triple Crown, there will be a huge asterisk by that for sure. Um, just like there are by some of Brady's rings. And I, all right, I'll. That's I'm done. All right, that. I'm done for Cut the night. That. I'm leaving. I'm done for the <laughs> night. All right, that's I got it out of my system. Episode's over. <laughs> got that out of my system. Um, but you know what? Let's defend him because I think he's a great man, great guy. <laughs> no matter what you want to say about him, you can't take that away. Winner's a winner. Yeah, <laughs> Bob Baffert's a winner. <laughs> See, I, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> I can't. I can't do this with a straight face. Yeah, maybe we can embrace debate on this. <laughs> 
I didn't really like I'd heard about him leading up to the Kentucky Derby. You know, he's like the whatever Bill Belichick of horse racing. Um, but then, you know, seeing him on TV, seeing him like go on Fox News immediately after and cite, you know, cancel culture has yeah, come to horse racing. Out. Yeah, trying to fire people up. It's like, and you know, he's got his white hair and sunglasses, you know. He's like a I, villain. He's like a super, he's like a superhero villain. Yeah, I don't, he really looked like, I mean, I don't know what kind of words we can say on the radio, but he looks like whatever word you would describe a guy who is on television with sunglasses and white hair talking about um, cancel culture and horse racing. I, I always think of the villain. The way he laughs, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he went on Fox News and did the whole, like, Gotham, you have 12 hours <laughs> to, to turn in the Batman or something like that, you know? <laughs> I was born juicing horses. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's a shame, um, because I don't know. I feel like the horses are already juiced on a lot of stuff in the off season. It's kind of like baseball whatever. where it's like, you know, you pick one person out and you're like, shame on you. But little do you realize so many other people are doing it that you don't realize. Right. And I think that this drug specifically, um, it was like, you can use it on horses, but not in the 14 days leading up to the race. So it's all these technicalities. Too. Right. That's a so big part of it. it's not, so yeah, and the, none of these horses are clean. I mean, they're getting drugged up the whole time and then they just, you know, wean them off it before the race so they pass the test but i don't know it's you know the the horses are getting juiced up on stuff for sure so if the idea is that this um medicine or whatever you want to call it is you know harmful to the horse or you know uh it's like the equivalent of steroids or something you know all the horses are doing it just not right before the race um that's the biggest problem i did read what was interesting is a lot of people who were at the race kind of pegged it right away um, they could see it, people like veterans and horse racing, because they said, you know, they, they knew those horses because to get to the Derby, you know what, it's like 33 year old horses. Mm -hmm. So they've been coming up for years and you kind of watching them to see who's going to make it to the Derby. Um, and they, they can track the improvement, you know, horses will get faster from their second year to their third year. Um, but they were just saying, you know, Medina spirit, uh, especially as well as a couple of other, of uh, Baffert's horses who tested positive recently, you know, you, it was like exponential growth and speed. Um, it was looking like the horses weren't getting tired and people just the eye test who really know horse racing, they were saying these horses look like they're juicing, um, just because, you know, there's natural progressions in horses. These horses were far exceeding that. And it was consistent across Baffert's horses, mm -hmm. which is where the problem comes up where this trainer who's this legend is, you know, it's kind of, everyone's kind of an open secret that he's, he's doping these horses. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. And especially if, it denies other people from the chance to win. That's yeah. who you have to feel for is the people that, you know, are going to come short um, of and not only winning the Kentucky Derby, but there was a possibility that had this not happened, we might have had a triple crown winner that wasn't him this year. You know, yeah. there so many infinite possibilities if you take the the, the horse and, and that doping out of the question. Weren't the, uh, weren't the two most recent triple crowns, those were Baffert horses? What was the most, what was the most recent one? American Pharaoh? Or American was that... Pharaoh, was that the, was there one know. in between that and... We gotta do more research. We did not. We did not do any research. I don't know anything this. about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The the other, you know, the real shame, the real victims here, in my opinion, are um, the people who bet on the second place horse yes. to win. Um, or you hear about people with a trifecta, you know, that would have hit if Medina Spirit mm -hmm. is DQ'd. I don't know what happens. And I actually, I didn't look into this. I googled what happens if the horse is DQ'd. Um, no one knows. Like. With all this money involved, the last time a horse was DQ'd was 1968. Holy and I think been that long? they did open it up where people could come back to the track and exchange tickets. 
but like I don't think they had a way of getting the initial winnings back, so it was a huge mess. Now with all the online betting, with more people, more money yeah. pouring in, they, there's it's pretty much unprecedented because that was what fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's another like real concern is what happens with all this money that people are going to be upset. I mean, there's a lot of money bet like that yeah. people would people made on Medina Spirit and that people exactly. lost that Medina Spirit won. So. That'll be something to watch if it is officially disqualified. I know they have to do a second, more kind of comprehensive test. Like, I think it's like hair or something, or mm-hmm. instead of blood. I don't know. Yeah, something um, crazy like that. But yeah, that comes back. That, that could really, that could be an interesting sports moment. For in, sure. Like, in the betting sure. world, yeah. Well, we'll provide more insight on this on our show next week. Uh, but for now, we have a great, great, great interview with my good friend, Ben Trent. As I said earlier, former uh, University of Virginia football player, entered the transfer portal. He is now playing at Delaware, who recently made the FCS semifinals. Great interview. You won't want to miss it, and that's coming up right now. All right, well, we are excited to welcome onto the show Ben Trent, who currently plays football at the University of Delaware, formerly at the University of Virginia, uh, and he is Zooming us in live from Delaware. Ben, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad to take a little break from finals for this. Um, you know, excited to help out uh, past Tom Sox. I'm sure you've given them shout outs on here, but, you know, Crawford's the man. Uh, he's a phenomenal interviewer, and I'm excited to get this thing rolling. Well, you want to start with, we can start back with high school, um, and I guess your initial recruiting process from rural Virginia. Uh, what are you, are you 434, 504? I am 434, the best zip code in Virginia, hands down. Let's go. I thought that was your 40 time. (laughs) No, my my 40 time, we don't have to talk about that. It makes people feel bad about themselves when they hear how fast (laughs) it is. So we can leave that one off the air. So did did you have the beard in in high school? Yeah, so I started growing a beard as a freshman. Um, You know, I have a a baby face. So as soon as I got facial hair, I just kept it rocking. Uh, You know, cultivated it for years and finally when I got to college it really came into its own you know and I I think I've shaved it off maybe twice since I've turned 16. So, so what was your what was your initial kind of like recruiting process because you're a big guy and, and were, you a, were you a late bloomer were you early bloomer did you have some offers how'd you how'd you end up at UVA? So um, in high school uh, I started playing football as a freshman um, you know I can't say I was totally invested in it. I was just kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. My dad was a big football guy and coached high school football in the area from high school to high school for about 35 years. Um, and then I would say about sophomore year, I decided that, you know, this could be a track to get me into college, um, be something I'm really interested in. I'm kind of falling in love with the game. So that's when I really started diving into my ability and like the game overall. And, um, yeah, so I ended up transferring high schools, um, maybe get some better looks from better colleges, and I wasn't getting any offers. I was getting a bunch of walk-on offers, and I was getting up, I was getting looks from D3 schools, but I really wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go into. And then my senior year, February, UVA stepped in, and I got this number from this random Utah phone. I thought it was some school in the Midwest calling me, and I was going to be polite I uh, wasn't really interested about going really far so I talked to this coach for about 10 minutes and I was like you know what man um where'd you say you were from again and he was like oh I'm Garrett 2J from the University of Virginia and I about had a heart attack and I looked at my basketball coach because we were in the season at the time I was like listen man um I'll be right back I talked to him for about an hour and he told me to come to Virginia and I drove up 
Uh, couldn't even find a parking spot because they were playing Clemson for basketball, parked at the villa and walked to the facilities. And within five minutes, I had uh, committed to the University of Virginia. So that was as a preferred walk on. So that was kind of the process right there. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about the um, recruiting process? I feel like some people don't know, like in the summers, did you like go to camps? Were you like making highlight tapes, like, you know, going through every single play, pulling stuff out? Um, I feel like it's a grind for a lot of people and a lot of people don't see it. Uh, do you have any, yeah, any, any insight into that kind of process? Um, yeah, definitely. I had a little bit easier of a time since my dad was a high school coach and a teacher. He'd spend a lot of his hours when he wasn't actually teaching kids, going through my games, picking out clips that he liked, giving me feedback and kind of making um, some clips to the side. And then I would put it all together and spend about a couple hours, maybe every week from the past game, make a highlight reel. And then the summers around my junior year, I started attending college camps. I went to JMU, Richmond, UVA. Virginia Tech, just kind of all over the state of Virginia. That was about as far as I could get um, distance-wise. And, yeah, just calling coaches, um, following people on Twitter, leaving class in high school to go talk to some guy recruiting for high school, and anything I could do to get my name out there. Uh, it's definitely a process, definitely coming from rural Virginia. It's not a highly recruited area. So um, I would say my, my best piece of advice is have a dad that's been coaching football for a lot of years. But if you can't have that, I would just say be really active, um, you know, get your name out there, you know, practice hard, work hard, and things should take care of themselves. Now, before we go any further, I want to go back to what you said. You, you mentioned basketball coach. You're playing basketball in high school. You're listed on the Delaware roster, 6'5", 305. What were you like as a basketball player back in high school? Was it just well, I was, ball in the paint? I was also 6'5", 305, um, <laughs> and my talents were mostly on the bench, I was a hype man. I was the captain of the bench. I sat far right side away from the coach next to the water boy, um, kept my teammates motivated. And yeah, just enjoyed the game a lot. Didn't get a lot of playing time, but I was perfectly fine with that. Just like being around the guys, um, like staying active, uh, liked making a ball in a basket every 10 times I shot, you know, just, you know, just having fun out there. Um, yeah, su super good. Great sport, which Wish I could have pursued that too, but you know, we can't have what we want all the time. So I stuck with football. What's your go-to bench celebration? Are you like a towel waver? Are you, what are you doing? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to put into words. Um, yeah, I would, I would just say I would kind of talk a little trash on the, on the bench. You know, when the guys got up real close to me, I would say something about their shoes Maybe that maybe that their shorts were too long or too short, anything like that. Anything to get in their heads to help my teammates get that edge over them. That's that's kind of what I was like. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious. So when you commit to Virginia from from a school in Virginia, do you immediately become like the big man on campus at high school? Like was finding a prom date like, you know, fish in a barrel? Like was it kind of did it change your social life committing to UVA? You know, I don't want to sound too cocky but I would say that I was pretty popular beforehand I would like to at least some people might say otherwise but personally if I look back on my career as a high school student I would say most people knew who I was and that has nothing to do with me being the tallest person in high school and the tallest person in the hallway but I will say one thing that I felt especially from the students that were trying to get into UVA just off of academics they didn't like me very much because <laughs> um, football helped me get in and I could feel that a little bit. One of my really good friends would have been very upset if she would have not gone into UVA after I did immediately. 
So, um, you know, I think, I think my, my social status stayed about the same. Maybe the UVA fans liked me a little bit more and the Virginia Tech fans liked me a little bit less, but other than that, I would say it's about normal. Got you. Got you. What was it like coming into camp that first summer? Um, you talked about that for like a second right before we got on the air, but, um, you know, was it, was it intimidating? Did you feel intimidated? Could you really let out your personality at first or how scary was it coming into a, a team like that right away? Um, it was, it was definitely pretty scary. I, uh, I didn't really know my recruiting class since I got recruited so late. So I walked in, didn't know any names, didn't really know the coaches. I only talked to the O-line coach. So I walked in and was just trying to take it all in, kind of like drinking water from a fire hydrant. You're just absorbing as much as you can. Um, and then the older guys are definitely intimidating. You know, you're walking in, you got these 22-year-old dudes that have been playing college football for four or five years that are just jacked. And I'm this long, droopy high school kid you know, just graduated, just, just walked out of my last summer as a regular person. Um, it was definitely a good experience. It definitely tests you mentally, uh, just trying to get through every day, just trying to learn as much as you can, make a lot of friends, take college classes for the first time, which is this whole other monster. Um, yeah, very intense, but also beautiful at the same time. And UVA is kind of known it's in football for a very like disciplined approach, you know, the whole model motto of, of earn, not given, you got to earn your number, earn the right to wear a Jersey in practice period. I mean, what was that like coming from a, a high school program where your dad is the coach from to, to the Bronco Mendenhall system in Charlottesville? Um, I would say my dad uh, approach was very similar. He's a very old school guy and I would consider coach Mendenhall as being an old school guy. Um, yeah, so I wasn't, it wasn't that much of a culture shock coming into an earn not given environment. Maybe just the words were kind of changed, the phrases were different, but all in all is about the same. I really enjoyed it. I thought it added a little bit more value to what I was doing. It was a little stressful trying to get a number that first year. It took me until about the third last week of the season to finally secure my number that I've been wearing all of high school and that uh, I really wanted. But other than that, I felt that the whole experience was very valuable. When I walked out of the the school after my four years, I felt like I was definitely way more prepared for the real world um, after learning that kind of mentality. Can I ask what was the number and why you, why you picked it? Why was it a big deal to get? Yeah, definitely. So I wore and still wear number 64. My high school coach, not my father, someone that my dad coached when this guy was in high school, wore 64 and he played for the Dolphins and the Raiders playing the NFL for about nine years a uh, really high caliber guy taught me a lot of what I know and I just respected him a lot. I respected his style, respected his game. And I kind of wanted to pay homage to that. And the best way I could think of doing it was wearing his number. Now there's a lot, you know, that goes into football behind the scenes, especially, especially at the college level. What was like your, one of your favorite memories from UVA? Because of course, I'm sure that the Commonwealth cup win being Virginia tech, breaking the streak is probably your number one. What's your, your favorite memory from off the field during your time in Charlottesville, if you had to pick one? Man, I would, I would probably have to say I'll go with top two. One of them is definitely when UVA won the national championship for basketball. Had some good friends on the basketball team, um, and when they won, I was just so happy for them. I knew how much they had worked, how hard they had worked, the adversity they had fought through from the year before from the team that we will not mention. Everybody knows about them. So um, just them coming back and making it happen. And then I would say working with the Tom Sox with the best interview over here, Crawford, that was a great experience. 
uh, getting to know him, getting to know some students that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Those were two phenomenal experiences. Yeah. So to kind of go into that a little bit, you know, at UVA, you know, we're at a very small school here at WNL, but at UVA, there's definitely, I guess, more of a clear distinction between the athletes and the students, you know, and, and here the athletes are just kind of normal people. There's not a lot of money going towards athletics, period. But, you know, when it comes to a big state school, you know, there's a lot, a big difference between the athlete experience and the student experience. So what's that like, kind of having that gap between you and the rest of the student body? Did you enjoy it or do you kind of wish you were able to, to interact more with just like the normal kids? Well, I think a lot of it came down to how much effort you put into it. I had a good amount of friends that were um, not on sports teams. I had friends that were on other sports teams besides football. So at the end of the day, it just came out to how much time were you willing to spend on working those relationships after you left the locker room? It's easy to make friends on a team that you're on. I mean, you see those guys every day, just about every minute of the day. You go there so much with them. It's when you step out, it's when you're in uh, groups for classes, you know, um, at the library, anything like that, at the dining hall. It's like, are you going to be social or are you just going to kind of keep to yourself? I will say, though, when you walk on the camp to grounds, it's pretty easy to see who's an athlete and who's not because you just look who's wearing sweatpants and you look who's not. And then that's that's the difference. And and they'll probably be carrying around a gallon of water. <laughs> I'm curious. I read that you um, you got a lot of time on special teams at UVA. Special teams, I feel like for fans, um, feels like something that uh, things are supposed to go a certain way. And if they don't, it's catastrophic. Um, and but when you're on the field, it you know, you really have to execute. And it doesn't feel like it's a given to, to everything's going to go right. Um, I'm just wondering if you had any any kind of insight for being on the field for those kind of plays or anything that, you know, any moments where you were thinking like, uh oh, like where people aren't going to like this. Um, yeah, because I feel like the fans and the player perspective on that is very disconnected. On special yeah, time. definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, I've had both positive experiences and negative experiences on special teams because that's where I spent the majority of my playing time at UVA. Um, and it was just on one special team. It was uh, PAT and field goal, which, as you said, to most viewers, just looks like if you just do it, it'll get done. But there's a lot of moving pieces that go into it. You know, you got the kicker, you got the holder, you got the wind, you got the blockers, you got the block team. It's all this stuff going on. And um, I would just say in the moment when I would not play a whole game, I wouldn't play for about 10 minutes and have to run on the field from just standing on the sideline. It's just like some clicks and everything. You just get so locked in because you know this like could be one of three plays you're about to have in this huge game. Or like a game when we played Miami, I want to say in 2018, where we – basically won the game from three field goals where you know it can be so important um I think you kind of just all mesh into one unit you know if everybody does their job right you're not going to know because it goes perfect and you don't even worry about it but as soon as someone messes up you're going to know exactly who messed up because it's pretty apparent but yeah I definitely think it's a different kind of beast but all football is the same everyone's doing a job and things don't really go wrong until one person doesn't do their job I guess my next question, you know, moving on from UVA, what's the transfer portal like when you're actually like physically in the portal? <laughs> you know, like what is it? What does that look like, man? Is it like some what, like, yeah, what color? Tube, like some interstellar type? What, what color is everything? Are you like flying around? It's kind of like um, when Han Solo and Chewie, you know, go into light speed. You know, it's pretty crazy. It's trippy. You don't really know where you're going to end up. You just hope for the best. Um, so I entered the transfer portal the day after the Orange Bowl. I had talked to Coach Hall beforehand. And we had decided that I'll stay along for the Orange Bowl. Um, I love that team and I didn't want to leave just yet. And that 
um, he would kind of help me whatever way he could. So I entered the transfer portal that next day at about, I would say 10 a.m. Um, and it kind of just went rolling from there. I really wanted to get to school as soon as possible because I wanted to get started on my master's, all that stuff. So yeah, I would say I was in it for about three weeks, got a couple of teams interested in me, but when Delaware reached out, I just felt, it felt right. A lot of the coaches were connected to UVA. Um, again, I had known the coaches since I was in high school, since my dad was a coach and I went to camps. The head coach here now is at Richmond when I was in high school, so I got to know him then. And it just kind of seemed like the perfect fit and I bit instantly and here we are. I mean, all jokes aside though, is the transfer portal literally just like a website? I mean, how do you even do yeah, you it's a website. put yourself in it or does the team put you in it? How does that even work? You fill out a form and you send it to someone. Okay. Okay. And then you're in there. Yeah. It's pretty, it's a pretty simple process. They make it really easy. That's why there's 3000 people in it right now. I was about to say, what do you think of yeah. that rule? The, the kind of blanket eligibility for COVID? Cause I guess it affects you as well. You know, how does, how do you feel about the ability for people to transfer wherever they want and this season to not count against? Them? Well, you know, I definitely agree with this season, not counting. It was a really tough season on everybody. Um, you know, a lot of adversity for people that weren't expecting it. I mean, no one was expecting it. So I would say it's, it's, a very, it's a very fair assessment, very fair choice by the NCAA to allow that extra year of eligibility because um, not everyone had the luxury of competing this season. Some people had to go home for health purposes, you know, for family safety. So throwing them that bone, I think, was probably the best move that the NCAA could have made. Um, and, I think, and I think you can't take that away from kids that want to transfer, um, just looking for different opportunities. You never know what they're going through, too. So it should just be the same blanket response for all athletes. So I think I think they did a pretty solid job on that. Sure. I have a I have a question, Delaware related. Um, is Joe Flacco elite? Oh yeah, he's all over the place too. He is uh, he's plastered on the walls. I see him every day. I, I was every day I walk in. I feel like he's got. I mean, that's probably the biggest biggest star in in Delaware football history, right? There's there's definitely some other stars. Um, I'm not super familiar with all the names uh, being from Virginia and just getting here about roughly a year ago, but I think we have three pretty elite players in the NFL right now. Um, but yeah, our, our weight room's named after Joe Flacco. So yeah. he's got a big fat head on the wall. So I get to, every time I'm pumping to mine, I get to look at him and know that I'm going to be great too. That's awesome. I'm, I'm also curious. So my, my dad played football uh, in college at University of New Hampshire, which is FCS as well. So I followed their program for a long time. Um, I'm familiar with FCS probably more than the average college football fan just because of that. Um, I'm curious just kind of some of the some of the differences and similarities from, you know, the 1A or 1A, not FBS to FCS. So I was using the old terminology. The differences, you know, I know it's a little bit fewer, a couple fewer scholarships, um, but, you know, even level of competition and practice um, kind of guys coming in. Um, level of competition in games, even student engagement on campus. Um, it feels like it's more similar than people realize, but I'm curious for your perspective. Yeah, I would definitely say it's uh, way more similar than people realize. I would say the two biggest differences that maybe could be wrapped into one is uh, find like how much money the school is pouring into the program um, based on how much they have or any of the number of factors that I don't really understand, or which is more of a concrete difference is the amount of scholarships, which is, I believe, 63 full scholarships that can then be divvied up into partial scholarships. Um, and I would say overall ability is about the same. Um, you just don't have as many big names. You know, you don't got five stars running around or four stars or anything like that. Uh, and I would then say, just like with any other school, 
um, Power Five included, the fan base is dependent on the school. You know, it's um, it kind of comes down to, I would say, how popular the team is. Um, if the school is a football school or if it's a basketball school, like Villanova, for example, or Delaware. Delaware is a football school, I would say. Say Villanova is more of a basketball school. That's kind of your difference, but that's your difference all over the country. It's kind of the same situation. Yeah, so I, I don't want to offend any of our Delaware listeners here, but what do you do in Delaware in your free time, man? What do you <laughs> what do you do? I mean, Charlottesville, I'm sure, is, you know, people wouldn't even I, consider that. I was – I was very surprised when I got up here. Delaware is very similar to Charlottesville, or at least really? Newark is. I find it very similar. They have uh, Main Street, which is kind of like the corner. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more to offer restaurant-wise, but same vibe. Um, I mean, with COVID, it makes everything really hard, but there's beaches, two-hour drive away, um, which is kind of the same with Virginia Beach. I think it's about two hours away. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a very similar vibe. Maybe it just gets a little bit colder. Same humidity, though. So. Did, did you feel any trans or any uh, what's it called culture shock as a Virginia lifer being in Delaware? Was that just oh definitely I would wave here? I would wave at people and they look at me like I was a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> um, strangers don't like talking to you. You know I'll look at people and say how you doing and they'll just kind of look at me like I'm crazy. Uh, but other than that, I'd say it's about the same. And, and Delaware recently had a, a big playoff run. I think we'll we'll touch on that for a yeah. few questions. But last time I saw you. We were working for the, the Charlottesville Tom Sox team you mentioned earlier, Valley League Baseball, summer collegiate baseball team down in, in Charlottesville. And you were pretty, you know, you had the beard, but the hair was pretty short. Um, unlike your, your roster photo, actually, at UVA back at that time. Now you got the mullet going on. and uh, You got an earring, too, but I'll talk about the mullet first. What was, was that a, a playoff choice, or is this just uh, the, the, the new butters? So the mullet is a piece of art. I would kind of called back to Picasso you know it's it's something abstract it's something hard to cultivate and you don't really understand it until you really stare at it for a while <laughs> so when the pandemic hit I knew I had to do something to keep myself busy and but just not with too much effort and I was like hey my hair grows if I want it to or not so let's just let it do its thing and see what we get at the end of this two months three months I can't remember how long it was um and then I showed up back on campus and me and a couple of my teammates were like, I guess we're going to do mullets. We're just going to create this, this bond right here. It was me and two other guys. And um, yeah, we just rocked them all the way through the season. We got them get, let them get long. We let them get right. You know, it takes a while, you know, a lot of work. I would say more than I thought it was going to be to have a specific hairstyle, but yeah, I definitely think it, it paid off. Um, I think it was a good look for the season. I'm going to retire it here soon. Uh, to kind of enter back into the real world for a little bit. But I really enjoyed the time I had with him. My mullet, that is. Did you put racing stripes in the side too, or was it just the mullet? I did have racing stripes. <laughs> I did that a few times. Had a racing stripes a few times. Um, just made me feel fast, made me feel agile. You know, I feel like I can move a little bit better when I had them. Um, yeah, all in all, a great experience. I definitely think it improved my play on field. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about the, uh, the playoff format um, in FCS football. I mean, that's, that's unique. Um, you know, everyone thinks of, you know, uh, FBS, which is the, the kind of 14 playoff, but, you know, FCS is a pretty substantial playoff. What is kind of the mentality going week to week there? Because that feels unique in college football. Yeah, it's definitely different than what I was used to. I was used to the bowl game format. So we'd end the season and then we'd have about a month little more, a little less, depending on which bowl game we got into. And then we'd play what we knew was our last game. 
Um, I would say definitely the difference is, is the turnaround and you never really know when it's going to end. So, you know, every week you're preparing for this team and you go play that team. If you win, if you don't, but if you win, you come back and then you have to play the next team, which you don't know who that's going to be. Even in the regular season, you always know who's going to be your next opponent, but you don't know that anymore. So it, it kind of comes down to just whoever's up next. Um, it's definitely a little bit more stress, I would say, than a bowl game preparation wise, but I think when you can, when you get those wins, you get the momentum coming like underneath you, you just feel really good about it. You feel good about a team. You feel like you're really accomplishing something. Not to say bowl games aren't like that, but just like kind of the difference of the quick turnaround and the um, just not knowing the future kind of adds to it a little different spice. Do you think that the the college football playoff uh, and, and FBS, you think they should expand it to like 16 teams, give them a little bit more of that? You know, I've heard people say that. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think I really have a stance on it. You know, I think the bowl games are fun, but I think playoffs are fun too. Maybe they could find a nice sweet spot. Um, luckily that is not my job. That is, that is someone that gets paid far more than I probably ever will. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think, I think it would be interesting to see if they did that. I think that'd be fun to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's if you want to take that to the head of the NCAA or college football playoffs, I think that's a that's a good idea right there. Yeah, it's Condoleezza Rice, right? She's she's on the college football playoff committee, I believe. So this goes way up there. We <laughs> all the way up, all the yeah. way at the top, all the way at the top. <laughs> <laughs> this goes back to the hair question, but you got something. You got you got a little earring thing going on. It's shining right now. It's kind of messing up your camera. It's a little yeah, uh, and I'm sure I'm sure you guys have a hard time seeing your screen right now yes I, I do in fact have an earring I uh I played a little fantasy football and if you don't win you don't win and you you have to accept the repercussions and sadly I decided the punishment on the earring my friends tell me it's because I wanted one I just needed a reason to get one I'm not saying that's true and I'm not going to say that's false that is for the <laughs> listeners to decide but yeah I got one in the summer right before the season uh it was just a really long journey it's way more work than I ever thought it was going to be uh, don't know why people do this all the time. I couldn't imagine having more than one. But yeah, I, uh, in the season, I'd wear a feather every day. Blue hens, it's appropriate. i wear a blue feather for game days. Um, yeah, I think it just kind of added, gave us a little more, gave us an edge on the field. No one else in college football was doing it other than me that I know of. You know, give me a little attention. O-linemen don't get that much attention. So, you know, just trying to put my name out there any way I could. Um, yeah, great journey. I'm probably going to let it rock for a while. We'll see what happens. You know. It looks cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank this the one I'm wearing right now is uh is actually a gift from my teammates. So nice. I gotta hold on to it. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. I I guess I had a question about being a being an offensive lineman, being a big man. You know, what what does it take to be a big man? I'm, I'm a pretty skinny guy. You know, what what does it take? What is what oh. are the the what's it called like if you were to look at someone and like identify them as a big man what's your what do you what boxes are you trying to check well if you're trying to get there i would say increase your calorie intake by about two thousand based on what you're already doing and i think you'll be there in no time but um you know i'm not gonna sit here and act like i know it all i still got a lot to do to be the best offensive lineman i can be a lot of work to do um but i would say just off the eye test just you know don't really believe everything people say you know people are like Oh, you got to be six, five, six, six. You got to weigh this much weight. I mean, that's just not always true. You know, I've played with a lot of dudes. Some of the best offensive linemen I've ever played with are shorter than six, five, 
you know, might weigh less than what people usually weigh, might weigh more, you know, it's just all different. Um, it just kind of depends on how much, how hard you work and, you know, your attitude. I would say the biggest thing that separates an offensive lineman from any other position is besides size, obviously, is attitude. You definitely have to have an edge. You definitely have to be willing to do the job that no one's really going to want to do. Um, but it's gratifying, especially if you have great teammates that uh, kind of put you on that pedestal after the job gets done. But also at the same time, if you're willing to be an offensive lineman, you have to take the risk involved. Uh, a lot of things hinge on your group's performance. So, you know, after a game, people might not be happy with you. And after another game, people might love you. So it's kind of the ups and downs of being an offensive lineman. Yeah. I'm curious, do you see yourself ever coaching football at any level? Um, because you've pretty much got the masters in football. Um, you know, dad coached, uh, it seems like you'd be a fun coach. So I guess part one of the question is, do you think you'll ever coach part two? What kind of coach would you be? Would you be like kind of a hardcore? Or would you be kind of like the fun, the fun coach? Yeah. So I've definitely thought about coaching quite a bit. As I said, my dad was a coach. I've been around football my whole life. Even before I was playing, I was at his practices on the sideline, messing around with the pads as a little kid. So yeah, I definitely think I'd enjoy it. I'd like to pursue GAing after, um, and maybe take a stab at being a college coach. I think high school is a little out of my realm because my dad has basically forbidden me from doing it. So uh, he wants me to go to the highest level I can get. So yeah, I definitely think I've enjoyed it. And the kind of coach I would be, I like to think I'd be a fun coach all the time. Um, but with my experience of, you know, coaching high schoolers or camps that I would run, there would usually be something that would kind of get me into that kind of coaching zone where I, I get a little more hardcore, get a little more intense. Um, you know, I think it would be any other day. It'd be exciting to see what my coaching style would end up. I feel like it takes a couple of years to really find yourself as a coach. So. <laughs> what do people say? Everyone becomes their parents eventually. So who knows? You might be. Uh... If, if that is the case, and I will be a very old school. hardcore coach. <laughs> uh, I'm also, I, I guess one of my last questions, are you a, are you a Washington football team fan from Virginia? I, I'm only the fan of two football programs, and that is the University of Virginia and that is the University of Delaware. Got you. Got you. Yeah. We're, so but I will say, I will say, uh, I support all my past teammates in the NFL. I don't think any of them play for the Washington football team, so maybe next year. Maybe someone will get drafted for them. I don't know. Got you. Props that, always. That, uh, if you had said yes to the Washington football team fan question, it would have been a tough follow-up. So that was a good answer. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad I avoided that. That, was, that seemed like it was a trap. <laughs> I, I got a question. One more, I guess, pertaining back to UVA. Do you ever see UVA being known as a football school over being known as a basketball school? Do you think that, that one day the, 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 the axis will get flipped and uh, football will be on top? You know, I definitely could see that. It's hard to say because – on one hand, the basketball program at the University of Virginia is just so phenomenal. I mean, Tony Bennett, I've met him a few times. I've watched some of their practices. The dude is just class act. The guys he recruits are class acts. Like, they work hard. They win. They make things happen. Even their down years are still some of the best years in college basketball across the country. Um, on the other hand, Coach Menhall is the same. Class act, recruits class act guys. Um, they work hard. And as a program, I can say from experience, they're, they're on the right track. You know, when I first got there, we went two and 10. Um, every year we consistently got better. My last year, we made it to the Orange Bowl. Um, I don't, I think it's going to be a challenge, not because football will never reach that great point. I just don't see basketball falling off anytime soon. Mm. 
Um, but all college, all college sports, you know, it's the give and take. It's the flow of time. And it's kind of hard to sit here right now and think of, will Clemson ever not be one of the best teams in the country? Will Alabama ever not be one of the best teams in the country? And, I mean, it's like when you think back in the 80s, UVA, Virginia Tech, at some certain points, were the Clemsons and Alabama. So, you know, it's just hard to think about it now, but I'm sure in the future things could change. Um, but I, I would rather, ideally, just basketball and football just both get to the top, and then not to mention the Olympic sports, swimming and diving, golf, volleyball, soccer, all these great programs at UVA, and just be UVA, just be the athletic school, not to mention the academic school. That's ideally what would happen. Yeah, you should be the next president of UVA, locate. I think you'd be great for that. You seem to have the vision. If not, an athletic director, for sure. I was going to say, looking higher than coach. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think I could ever uh, do better than Carla Williams. I mean, she's just phenomenal. She's the best. She, I mean, I don't think I could beat her. I think she's got it. I mean, she knew me by my first name and she was there for like two of the years. I was there. Like you talk about another class act. I mean, that's, what's going to get it there. You know, that's, what's going to make UVA on the map, you know, just like here at Delaware, we have a great uh, athletic director, Chrissy Raywalk. I mean, I've just had two great athletic directors in my time and it's just crazy how much their job plays in the success of all programs. And you said Carla Williams knew your name. Did she know Richard, Ben, or Butters? She called me Butters, I think. <laughs> wow. I think she, she called me Butters. Yes. Yeah. That is incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well Butters, thank you so much for uh, for hopping on the show with us, dude. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thank- guys. Yeah, definitely. Awesome interview. Great guy. I don't think it gets better than that. Um, but that's all we have for our second to last show. Next week's going to be a uh, extravaganza. Yeah. It's going to be the, the, the greatest hour in, in the history of radio. <laughs> Make sure you tune in next week. This is going to be big. We promise. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been Gotta Take This here on WLUR Lexington. You can find us at anchor.fm slash gotta take this. You can find our first season from back in the fall as well as all the episodes from this season here in the winter. And we are going to ride out to Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue, Ben's suggestion. And that is courtesy of Ben. That's our tradition here on Gotta Take This as our guests pick the outro song. So we're going to ride out to that and we'll see you all next time. Mm